So, it's interesting um, what God says, isn't it? Um, it's interesting that uh, he would say again um, that he loves us. Which seems like the most redundant statement in all of Christianity, potentially. So why would God take the time to say something which has been plastered all over every bulletin, every correspondence, every church, every sermon? Why would God take the time to cause somebody to be motivated enough to speak out in the middle of a group of people to tell us that? Because obviously we forget it. Or we misunderstand it. We misunderstand what God's love actually is. And we start reading our circumstances and reading the narrative that is in our heads about our life instead of remembering that God loves us. Now, God says he loves us. What does that mean? Well, we have heard from Scripture that he accepts you and I unconditionally. Now, this is something you're not going to get and I'm not going to get totally. Because if we totally got this, we would be dramatically different people. We would live a dramatically different life for the most part. If we could truly embrace the reality that God is not keeping a checklist of your rights and wrongs, if we could truly get past that relationship barrier with God and realize that everything about us that we see is not like Christ and may in our minds cause us not to be able to be blessed by Christ has been paid for on the cross of Calvary. This is one of the great struggles, one of the great mysteries of the faith. Yes, the Bible does talk about aiming higher in our lives and doing better as Christians as far as loving each other, like Heather was saying. And it is through love that everything else happens. That is the way everything else happens. That we just want it to happen, that we just think God should make it happen, is not really uh, what really causes it to happen. It is our walking in that love of God, both in accepting his for us and giving what he has given us to others. That's what makes everything move. And so God, for some reason, felt again this morning that we needed to know that he loves us. And why does he want us to know that? Because we are, for the most part, walking with some kind of a ball and chain around our feet. And we have thoughts that God will not bless us because. God is not with us because. Good can't happen in my life because. And that's the ball and chain. And the fact is that God has made a way that nothing can get between us and the love that he has for us in Christ Jesus. So instead of us trying to keep track of everything we've done wrong and trying to fix it so that maybe God will like us more, that we would step back and move into grace 
and the tremendous freedom that God says, I love you unconditionally, unconditionally. I know what you are. I know who you are. I know you're not who you should be. Jesus came and died, as you always hear me say, because we are not who we should be. So that the fullness of what we need to be in order for God's love to flow into our life has been achieved through Christ Jesus. The second chapter of that is us thus walking with others in the same manner. That's that's where it gets clogged up. So God is saying, I want you to know that I love you and I accept you. And I am as crazy about you now as I was the day you were born. And that I want to wrap my arms around you. I want to give you all that Christ died so that you could have. That's God's intention. He's not here to uh, show you again what you've done wrong. Mind you, conviction is very powerful because it allows us to get things out of the way so that the love of God can come into our life. We can experience it more. It's not so that we can find some reason why God loves us. Oh, I just repented, so now God really loves me. That's not the way it works. He loves you the way you are. So you don't have to impress him. You don't have to and somehow reach some mark so that then God's blessings will flow. That's not the way it works. God desires to bless us, and he desires to love us, and he desires us to do that with other people. I will give this concession. The only thing that will really release the hand of God is obedience in love. It's like Heather said, that was not, a, that was not an accusation that was being made there. That was a help. God trying to show us, you know, some of the spiritual cavity that might be going on that needs to be fixed. Think of who you have a hard time loving. Well, that should be an easy one. Um, and just imagine you acting towards them in a loving manner. I guarantee you what that may be a forgiveness, that may be a blessing, that may be a communication, it may be all kinds of things. But just imagine yourself acting in a loving manner, an unconditional loving manner, regardless if they've changed their behavior, attitude, or whatever. But imagine yourself approaching them and dealing with them in that manner, I guarantee you a blessing would flow from on high, slam damn right into your lap. It absolutely would. The knowledge of Scripture is not what Christianity is all about. It is the doing of Scripture. That is what releases the power of God. We in the faith have become very, very kind of... um, focused on our knowledge of scripture and memorizing scripture and knowing about Jesus and knowing about our doctrine and knowing about the precepts of the faith. The devil knows them too. Doesn't do him much good. But God is, if we walk in the little that we know, God will bring a far, far greater proportion of his blessing than the little bit that we're walking in. And I think Heather hit it on the nail this morning, as others did when they spoke about what God's saying, is that love, to quote the song, love is the answer. 
all of the same whispering voices at three in the morning. He had all of that. Jesus knew what he was subjecting himself to. And he did that because he knew that in so doing, you and I would be blessed, that we would become eternally rich in the knowledge of Christ and thus releasing the blessings of God. This is an attitude that we need to have about the kingdom, that we give what we have, the blessings and the position that we have, we give it up so that others can be blessed. That's the purpose of the church. That's why we're here. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20 says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. This is Old Testament stuff, but it's talking about the intent of God. God's intent is that you be blessed. Now, we have a very secular idea of what blessed means. We think it means to be rich. We think it's, it's not to have any problems. We think it's to live in a nice house and to have all of those things and to have healthy children and all those things. And those certainly are a blessing. But as I listened to this Harvard uh, scientist in a podcast this week who has been studying the brain for 20 years, and guess what happens to her? She has a, a stroke. And it took her eight years to come out of the stroke, but what she said is, I would not trade the stroke. If I could go back eight years, I would take it again because of what it taught me. <clears throat> so being blessed is not always having everything our way and having it the way we want it. In actuality, most of the time, that leads us down a very apathetic, mediocre road. And it doesn't provoke the image of Christ in us at all. But I want to tell you that God wants to bless you. And one of the ways that he wants to bless us, he wants to bless our families, he wants to bless our health, he wants to bless those things in whatever way he does it and, and bring us into the image of Christ through them. But he also has some instruction on how to live many aspects of your life. And one of them is your financial. And we need to understand the financial intentions of God and what his intentions around our finances and around money is all about because we are living in a time where we have grotesque distortions about money. We have so much money as a society, we have to have financial advisors to show us what to do with it. It's crazy. We have that much money. The rest of the world looks at us, and that's why they're all trying to get into the West because we have all this money. We have so much stuff. We buy so many things we don't need that we have self-storage places where you go and you park it. You'll never use it, but it's yours and you want it. And this is a grotesque distortion. And you can see how the enemy has got a hold of our wealth and turned it into something for us instead of our wealth being used for God. First scripture, 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is talking about all aspects of our life, but in this case, Paul is speaking to them about giving, about finances. Now, 
I want to say something. Like, I am not a prosperity preacher. You know that. I have never talked about money. I think I've talked about money maybe three times in my whole time of speaking in churches. But this church is in a situation right now where I believe we need to understand something about finances and what God's intention for money is. And I do believe God wants us to be financially prosperous. I do believe that. But that's not why we give. But I do believe God wants us to be financially prosperous so that we could do what Jesus did. Have a lot, leave it, give it to somebody else so they can be blessed. That's why God wants it to happen. And so that the church can be blessed to do that. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I don't believe in 10%. I don't believe the New Testament does not have that doctrine. It doesn't. It's, that's a law. God is asking us to follow him by spirit and truth, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you and give you the unction about what it is that you are supposed to give. And I should suspect that most of the time, it's probably above 10%. But I, 10% is not something I even think about. Try not to. I give what I feel to give and let God do the rest. Understanding that God is generous and he's called us to be generous. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now that is a promise. You want a promise from God? There it is right there. Now, you can either believe that, we can either believe it, or we cannot. If we believe it, we will be generous. If we don't believe it, we will hold back. We'll say, but I've got this and this and this. And God's saying, but I've got this. So which is it you're going to believe? And people say, well, why is he talking about that? The reason is because this church has been in deficit for over a year. Every month, we've been going into deficit. And for the amount of expense that this church has, compared with the amount of people we have, there is no reason that should be happening. So obviously, we as, as a congregation have some misunderstanding about finances, and I think that's what God wants to speak to. And I'm not saying it because I want Mosaic to be flush, to have money. That's not what I'm after here. What I'm after is that we are missing a principle about how you as an individual, not Mosaic, how you as an individual can release financial blessing in your life so that you can bless Mosaic, which is the church, which is apparently what we're supposed to be, have the greatest priority about in our life. That we are in here with a group of people and our job is to let the world know about the faith. That doesn't happen with monopoly money. It happens with, you have to have lights, you have to have heat, have to have a building. You get on a bus and you pay money for that. So obviously things need to have financial resources. But God, it, this, the, the reason I'm saying this is so that you can get a hold of the principles, that you can be reminded of what God's attitude is about it, so you can bless Mosaic and you can bless your family and you can bless your neighbor, you can bless people in Africa, you can bless people in Vancouver, you can bless people wherever it is. 
But the first fruits have to come to God first. And this is where I think one of the big, the big problems is. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The whole thing is right there. That's God's purpose. But do we believe that he'll be there for us? Next scripture, 2 Corinthians 8. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able to. Now he's talking about this group of people in Asia that were blessing the Judean church. They were very poor. It was a very poor church. But yet Paul's really giving them quite a pat on the back. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. Now, I'm not saying God has, we, every week and every month or whatever, we have to give beyond our ability. That's not what I'm saying. But there are times we may have to. We may have to make the decision, who am I going to trust this month? Am I going to honor God or am I going to honor the power company or whatever, right? And there's balance. There's wisdom that needs to be done there. But nonetheless, when those times come up, we have to sit down and ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do? I'm pretty sure you'll, the Holy Spirit will say this, the right thing. I just got to keep going, Willie, or I'll lose the anointing. <laughs> Enter on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. See, they were doing it for the Lord's people. I don't know why people think they're giving to a church. I had one guy say to me, I don't give a church I don't think you should pay for the gospel. Oh, boy, is everything I could do not to go over the table. <laughs> oh, my dear. Uh, you're not paying for the gospel. You're paying so that the gospel can be spread. That's what you're paying for. Apparently, the reason you're in the church, the reason we have been called to the purposes of Christ and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. Now, this is very important. They didn't take their, their offering that they usually gave to God and just gave it to the Judeans. They gave what they always give to God first, and then they took even more money and gave it to the poor Judean church. So this brings us to Cuba. We are called, and, what's, and it, most people who are giving to Cuba right now are giving up and above their amount of money that they usually give to God. But some of us, I think it's getting split. A correction. We need to first give what God is due. Then Cuba. Or then, you know, our relatives in Vancouver or our neighbors or people in Africa or whatever it is, wherever we're sending money. God has got to come first. Jesus was very serious about this. He said, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. One of these graphic statements. Jesus was trying to make a point there about how important it is to have God first. He said, in order to follow me, you will have to hate. And he was using that hyperbole on purpose so it would get our attention. You have to hate mother, father, son, daughter. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't telling us to hate our family. But what he's saying 
is you have to honor me to the point that it may even look like that. It may look like that because I am the focus. And it's not because God is an egomaniac. It's because it is from him through whom all blessings flow. And we have to honor him so that we can receive what it is he died to give us. It, it's, the math isn't hard. Deuteronomy 16. All must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. So again, it's even here they're saying it's according to what you have. God's not asking you to give $4,000 a month when you only make 2000 You know, that's crazy. But again, it's that thought that has to go into it. Father, I want to give. How much should I give? And understanding the first amount, the first thing that comes out of our pay is God's. He spent over 2,500 years or more in the Old Testament trying to make that clear. That the first fruits, the firstborn, goes to the Father. He wasn't doing that just because it was dramatic. He was doing it because he was trying to set up again the idea that he needs to be the priority. Again, not because he's an egomaniac. He knows how easily our focus will get off. He knows that. He just knows that we're being led. He knows we're in a battle. He knows there are voices. He knows we have fears. He knows that we have insecurities and, and we're worried about the future and what's going to happen financially. Luke 16. Whoever can trust with very little, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And the fact is that at times we have probably been dishonest with our finances and we have not honored God. And we have given it to somewhere else and that somewhere else becomes a priority above God. And it's, it's a form of spiritual dishonesty for God. But the fact is, if God can trust you with this little bit of money that he's asking you to give, he can also trust you with other things which may have some kind of an answer to maybe why our life is not progressing the way we would like it to progress. Is that we have not shown our trust in God. And we are not faithful with the money that he has given us so why is he going to give us more why why is he going to do that chronicles 29 first chronicles 29 but who i who but who am i and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this everyone everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand it's a beautiful truth that everything we got came from God anyway. The car you're driving, the house you're living in, the food you buy, the clothes you wear, the money you get, the health you have, everything, it all comes from God. And trust me, when we are in front of God, because as you know, I've mentioned, I've had two very powerful experiences in my 40 years of walking with God. One was in 1994, and the other one was in November. And in those cases, in 94, I was in what I could only call the divine Shekinah presence of God for about six hours. And I'll tell you, 
When you are in that presence, you want to give everything to God. You have ultimate and absolute trust and the peace and the tranquility and the knowledge that all is well, no matter what the eye may see or the ear may hear. And I think there'll be times when we get, when we get in front of God where we'll really lament not being more generous with him. Not only about our finances, but about many things. Proverbs 11, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. These are all promises. And the first people we should be refreshing is each other through this church and then that those outside of this church. But that, that is the fact that as we refresh, as we take consideration for others, it will come back to us. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. These are all just simple truths that can be directly applied to our finances. Luke 6, give and you will receive. Here's the part. This scripture is used so much in the prosperity world that you you almost feign saying it. But it's still the truth. A truth misused is still truth. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I can't say it any clearer than that. I hate for that to be the motivation, but God knows us. He knows that to speak like that is one of the ways that he can motivate us. And let us know that, listen, I'm going to take care of you. I'm actually promising you that I will give back more than you give. That's what he's saying. Now, it may come in blessings. It may come in finances. It may come in the car not breaking down. How many have got a little extra money and all of a sudden the fridge breaks? You get a little extra money and the car breaks, right? It's it's uncanny. It's the weirdest thing. But nonetheless, God will make sure that what you need, you will get. It's a promise And if we're not living a life where we have sufficiency, where we are constantly in poverty, we are constantly in need, we are constantly not getting the progress and the promotion and all those things, we have to look at these principles. We have to. I can't not say it. I've got to say it. It is the truth. The way that we handle our finances will have an absolute direct relationship to the blessings upon our life. It absolutely will be true. It is true. Because God knows wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And trust me, most of us, you start talking about money, hmm, things start getting ornery. Someone comes and asks you for 20 bucks. Most of us would stop and think instead of just freely giving it. Something happened um, three weeks ago. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm walking along the road. I don't know where it was. I looked. Oh, no, I was down in the valley in my car, just driving. I stopped at a gas station. Uh, I'm the only one in the car. I don't carry cash. I never do. I, I pay with my phone. And so I'm st- I, get, I get out, get gas. I get back in the car, and I look in the thing in the floor, and there's a $5 bill, a brand-new $5 bill. I'm looking around like it couldn't have just blown in the window. 
And it was right there, you know, on my feet. So I picked it up and bought a Pepsi. <laughs> but um, so then, true story, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I'm driving down the Herring Cove Road, <laughs> just driving along. And I look past my window and a $5 bill is going <laughs> past my car. I'm not kidding. And I look in my rearview mirror and I see it. And it lands on the side of the street. So I stopped the car. I backed up. And I got another brand new $5 bill. What's that all about? I told you the story about a dear lady who went to our church, Belinda. How many know the $5 story about Belinda? Belinda took in every kid in the pubs. Crack addicts and people would come and drop their kids off to, to Belinda's on Friday, come back and get them on Monday. And Belinda, she was this short little force of nature that you don't get between her and doing God's will. And so she had this gaggle of kids, and she had taken them. These, this one, she adopted four kids. And she had them at the doctor. She was on Kumpa Road. And she called me afterwards, and she's so excited. She said, oh, pastor, you won't know. You can't believe what happened. I said, when, she said, I come out of the doctor, and I said, oh, I wish I had enough money for a cab. But she had to get, wait for the bus and get the kids. So she's walking down Kumpa Road, a $5 bill. This happened. This, I'm not making this up. And then she picked it up. And she said, oh, that's good. And she's walking again. Another one. <laughs> happened three times. Three times. $15 enough to get a cab home. Now, that either happened or it didn't happen. And it did happen. That either tells us something about God or it tells us that there's some weird force in the earth dropping money from the sky. And I don't think it's a weird force. I think it's God once again reminding us that he is from whom our blessings flow, not from our employer, not from somebody else. And as we give and trust him, because when you give to him, you are saying, God, I trust you. That one way or another, the $5 bill is going to come. Either it's going to be given to me or I'm going to work for it or something's going to happen. And it's going to happen. Proverbs Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. The best part. First fruits. The best part. And the best part of anything is the first bite of apple pie. Isn't it? The first time you get in the new car. The first time you walk into a new apartment. The first time you wear a new piece of clothing. That first time. The first fruits is what God wants. Malachi, this is, this is the granddaddy. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. This is the big one. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Can you imagine saying this back to the prophet? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. You're hearing what's being said here, right? If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. 
Try it. Put me to the test. I can't, I, I, you don't even need to preach that. It just says it. It absolutely says it. But it also says God is very concerned about our finances and about what we do with it. And he sees it as a direct insult to him. When you take money that is supposed to go to him and you give it to somebody 2,000 miles away because they're phoning you up and saying, I need it. And you say, okay, you're more important than God. I guarantee you, if we give to God first, that situation will miraculously get taken care of somehow. Either through you, somebody else, or something else. Our goal is to make sure that we honor God. God will honor our faith. And he will take care of any consequences with honoring him. Peter said, gee, Jesus, we left everything. Jesus, we gave up homes and we gave up everything. And he said, oh, really? He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, I'm not even going to tell you the extent of what you're going to receive eternally, but I will tell you here that you will get a hundredfold more. Now, I don't know if Peter went on to be very wealthy, but he went on to raise some people from the dead. He went on to heal some people. He went on to start the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how much more rich you can be. I don't know how many of you would trade a financial blessing from your job. How many of you would trade that instead of being able to pray for your son and your daughter to receive Christ and for it to happen? To go into a hospital and pray for a dear loved one and see them get healed. If that isn't worth a few bucks, I don't know what is. And I believe that is far more rich. And that's what Jesus was talking about. I don't think Peter at the end of his life said, well, I never got the money I thought I was going to get. Gee, that didn't work out. What about the big house and the big car? Peter knew what blessing and what richness truly was. But it's directly connected to what we do with our finances. Our spiritual effectiveness can actually be compromised because we are not giving God what is his due. And what's, you know what confounds me about this? You can go to Africa, you can go down to the southern United States, and you can get some ring-clad preacher with jewels hanging from him telling you to give, and you will throw money at him. Throw money at him. But yet when God comes and says, give it to me, everyone holds it back. You know, I, I heard about a friend of mine who was telling me about her church in Nigeria where once a month they have a, an offering for the pastor. For the pastor. And she said there's people throwing car keys and credit cards and everything in it. And that's not unreal. Anybody who's done any kind of research knows what's going on in Africa because they've been sold the bill of goods from the southern United States prosperity doctrine. And prosperity doctrine works really good with poor people because it says if you give the pastor a bunch of money, you'll get blessed. And the highest discrepancy between incomes, between leadership and the congregation in all churches across denominations is in the prosperity churches. The preachers are rich and the congregation is poor and they don't get any richer. 
because they're giving for the wrong reason. They're given to bless some, some showman instead of giving to God. And God's saying, if you give it to me, I will bless you. Some people give just for the show of it. You know, Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to look like they were big and they sold the property and we're super saints and we're coming in and we're going to give all this money to God because we're super saints and you're not. And we're giving all this money and da-da-da. And he gave it. And Peter said, really, is that, is that the full amount of money? Is that really? And they had held some back, right? They didn't tell anybody. I'm just going to keep like 30, 40% of that. But I'm going to say it was the full cost of the land that I sold because I want to look like a martyr. Do you know we have people who will put offering envelopes into the offering with nothing in it and no name on it. Now, you know why? That, now, why, why are they doing that? For show. And also, I will give condolences for the sense of guilt because the plate's going around and everybody's given and you don't have anything to give that week, so you, you don't want to look bad. That is an idol. That is allowing your neighbor to be greater than God. God loves you. Who cares what this guy's given? It don't matter. You don't have to put something in there just to look like you're contributing. God knows anyway. And he's the only one you need to impress. He's the only one that you need to say anything to. So God is showing us today about the priority of financial propriety and how to do it. Proverbs 11, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. It's kind of the end of it, isn't it? That's kind of where it ends up. That is spiritual poverty too. And so I wanted to just say this today because, and, and again, you know, we've known about this financial situation in the church for some time. And I've chosen not to say anything about it because I was waiting for the right motivation from God in order to speak about it. I could have just got up here and been loud and screamed and hollered and said, you're not giving and what's going on. But God spoke to me, and I believe I can say that he did, about three weeks ago or so, and said, Keith, the reason I want you to talk about finances is because they are missing a blessing. Not because Mosaic is not where it should be financially. But because, my, because you know what? God will take care of Mosaic. At the end of this year, we are going to be flush. We'll have the money we need. We really will. We have to act properly, but we will have it. God will, God's done it three years now, Charlie. At the end of the year, we get offerings from people who don't even go to the church, and it brings us up to the black, Right? So God will take care of us. But what about you? That's what God's concerned about. One of the key ways, and I'll close with this, one of the key ways that God wants to release his blessing in your life is through proper and obedient handling of your finances. That it first of all goes to God. Second of all, it is generous. That's what he's asking. That's what he's saying. And he's also letting us know that he keeps his eye on this. 
Not because he's checking you off. Oh, look at how much Reg gave this week. Oh, we'll send a little blessing his way. That's not it. He wants you to be blessed as a people. He wants to have that opportunity to give back. God has limited himself to his own decrees. He has principles that he works by, and he won't violate them. And it's like the Ferris wheel. You give it up here, and it comes back down here. And God just wants your Ferris wheel to go around. He wants that to keep moving because he loves us. He loves us. Giving to the church, gives to the kingdom, allows us to keep the lights on, allows us to do outreach, allows us to do whatever it is that we need to do. So, and trust me, of all the churches in the city, we have one of the lowest monthly expenses. We'll talk about, we're having a congregational meeting after the service, and we'll talk more about this, and you can ask questions and stuff, but we have a very low monthly requirement to operate. Um, And there's no reason we should not be able to meet that. But, uh, so we're very fortunate that way. But it costs money to, to have the thing work. So, Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us. We thank you, Father, and it's another opportunity to understand you and to understand another way that you bless us, another way that you want to be in our life and you want to be a part of our life and part of what's very important to us in our life and show us how to handle it with faith and to handle it with trust so that we can truly freely give. And, Father, I pray for us today that we would understand this and that we would all, Father, move into greater blessing and understanding of your love for us and your power in our life, your provision in our life, your resources in our life, so that we can be a blessing to others and Mosaic can be a blessing to Halifax and to the kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen.